Hello, and thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel, a podcast where we shatter the glass ceiling for women in law. I'm your host, Stephanie Watchman, and I've been coaching and training women attorneys all over the world for nearly a decade. Women lawyers, no matter where they are in their careers, face many challenges, frustrations, and some fantastic opportunities. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing experts to cover many of the issues I get asked about, like managing stress, career growth, law firm leadership, self-confidence, business development, and even planning for retirement. My goal is to provide you with the tools and tips you need for your own professional growth. And now, let's get on with the show. Well, today I wanted to do something kind of different. If you recall a few months ago, I had Erica Bullock-Jones on the podcast, and we had the most downloads of anybody after uh, after her podcast interview. And in that podcast, she talked so highly of her mom and she had so many incredible expressions from her mom that I thought it would be fun to have her mom on the show just to understand where all this wisdom came from. And uh, just as a reminder, Erica comes from the firm Sherman Howard where she's the program manager, does human resources, learning and development. And she's been a practicing lawyer for a number of years. And her mom has got an interesting, interesting backstory as well. She grew up in 1936 in Elk City, Oklahoma. And she was the fifth of six children. And she lived most of her childhood in a very small house in Norman, Oklahoma, small town. And they went, she and her brothers and sisters went to school and worked to help her mother pay the bills and care for the family. In the summers, she picked cotton and watermelon. And when she was a small child, her brother and sister accidentally set their house on fire and her mother risked her life to enter the burning house and rescue her. She was also an incredibly strong woman. Um, Ms. Bullock was in her early 20s when she moved her family to Southern California, and she settled up in San Gabriel Valley. She worked many, many odd jobs, and she was married for a very long time until her husband died in 1972 at the young age of 35. So Ms. Bullock was a single mother to four children, ranging in age from 11 to one year old, very little, and she worked as a nurse and many other jobs to care for her family. And with the help of a small social security death benefit check, she and her family just got by. And this is something also incredible. In 1984, she became a foster parent. And from 1984 to 2002, she cared for more than 100 children in her own home. And she adopted two of them. So three of her four biological children are college graduates. Two of them are lawyers and one is a computer engineer with a master's degree. And she is a very, very faith-based woman. She believes very strongly in her faith, and she credits her phenomenal success at life and parenting to that faith and to her God. And in this podcast interview, you're going to hear her talk very highly of where she got her strength and and how that came. So if you are a faith-based listener, uh, this podcast will certainly uh, talk to you. And for those that may not be, we hope that you get some inspiration from this amazing and resilient story. So we're going to talk to Ethel Lee Lacey Bullock today. My mom is a 
wonderful, amazing, 85-year-old Dynamo. <laughs> she was born in Elk City, Oklahoma, and grew up in a couple different places around Oklahoma. She has five brothers and sisters. She's the sole surviving sibling. She and her extended family moved to Southern California in the 1950s in the second great migration of African-Americans from the South. And she has four kids that she gave birth to um, and is mother to countless others. She and my father lived in Dewarty, California for many years. Um, He passed away in 1972 and left her a single parent to myself and three older brothers. So she raised us on her own all those years. Myself and two of my brothers have bachelor's degrees and advanced degrees. My fourth brother um, has a long uh, career in law enforcement. And when I was in high school, my mother became a foster parent, cared for more than 100 kids uh, in her home over the years. She now lives in Southern California in Fontana, where she shares her home with extended family members as her custom and her love. And she's just an amazing person who has been my rock through my life and helped and guided me and my kids and my husband and many, many countless others. Does that cover it, Mom? (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) That's a beautiful introduction. (laughs) So what I'm curious about, Ms. Bullock, is you've, I want to hear about how you, how you got from growing up to where you are today, having raised four kids, all with advanced degrees. Like, how did you do all that and keep it together? Well, uh, first of all, I'm a Christian, and my mom, she was a single parent, and she raised us uh, by herself, and she was a Christian woman. So early in life, I learned to depend on God, because that's where I get my source from, the Lord. So through it all, the Lord, he brought me through with my children. And everything that I would ask the Lord for, he was right there to give it to me. Money, clothes, whatever I needed. I would pray and ask him, Lord, I need clothes for my children. You know, I need clothes. I need money for this. Pay that bill and the other bill. And the Lord was right there with me. And he's still with me. And I'm 85 years old. And I thank the Lord because I know where my source come from. So just to add, add a little context to, to her stance there, when I was 17 and I got into Cornell and I had to fill out my financial aid form and, you know, apply for scholarships and things like that, I sat down with my mom and we filled out the application in 1989. Well, this, when we sat, out, sat down to do the forms in 1989, so we had her taxes and everything from 1988, she made $18,000 that year. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you, she she's not exaggerating. We never wanted for anything. I mean, and we weren't rich, but she had a car. She owned her home. We had new clothes for school every year. And I still, uh, you know, I have twice as many parents in my household, my husband and I, and half as many kids. I have two kids. And... I look back and wonder how she did what she did um, because it was 
it, it was a miracle. It really was because she provided for us and we never wanted, we never had a day hungry and we never wanted for anything. So, so aside, I, I, I know your faith is a big foundation and aside from your faith, what do you say to yourself to get aside from your faith, but what do, what do you say to get through the hard times? How do you, how did you overcome some of the diversity that you may have faced? Well, I read the word every day, and I, that gives me strength. That's all I need. I, I have God, and that's all I need. And a lot of people, that's what they need. Hey, it's Stephanie Watchman. I want to take a quick break to tell you about a limited time discount on my online course for women in law. This is my signature program for women lawyers, and I've been offering it in-house for over 11 years with amazing success. This program was created to teach women attorneys how to compete at the highest level in their firms and grow their book of business to the high six figures. The women who have gone through this course have learned amazing leadership skills. They've learned how to do business development. They know how to have better self-confidence, presence, communication skills. It's just an amazing program and incredibly comprehensive. So for a very limited time, you can cash in on early bird pricing by going to www www.emergingwomenleadersinlaw.com forward slash early bird. Again, that's www.emergingwomenleadersinlaw.com forward slash early bird. And there'll also be information in the podcast notes. I can't wait to have you in the program. So that, that is a huge, that is a huge part of what a lot of people like is having, of having that faith. Tell us about your background where you grew up, what you did. I heard, I was reading in your bio and I shared with our audience in your bio that um, you had a fire in your house. Tell us that story. What happened? Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, I was a baby, I guess. My mom said I was about six or seven months old. But she was washing that a particular day and uh, she went outside to hang up some clothes. So, my brother and sister, they were twins, and uh, she told them to babysit me while she go outside and hang the clothes up. So when she went out to hang the clothes up, they were playing with the fire on the stove because we had one of those hot belly stoves. Yeah. And um, they had paper, newspaper. They took newspaper, and they was dragging it up and down on the stove so it caught on fire. So they didn't know what to do. So they threw me down. My sister was holding me. They threw me down on the floor and ran out and told my mother. And she came inside and she said the house was just full of smoke. And she couldn't find me. And she was calling me and said, I started coughing. I was under the table. And um, she went under the table in the fire. It just caught her hair on fire and just burned all her hair off. And she said uh, the neighbors was trying to hold her to keep her from going inside to get me, but she pushed them out of the way and she went in and she got me. And she said I would burn all over and everything, but the Lord blessed me and brought me through. The, the only reason I knew about that story, um, when I was a little girl, she, mom used to, to braid my hair and I would sit on the floor while she sat on the couch and, and I'd sit between her legs. And I noticed one day, I was probably six or seven, that she had burns um, on her legs 
scars from the fire. And I didn't know what they were. And I asked her, I was like, Mom, what are, what are these marks on your legs? And she told me that story of what happened that day. So wow. that, it's a miracle that she's still here. Yeah, but I think also like there's a strength, right, that your that your mother had, your grandmother had. And it seems like are all your kids as strong as you are, Miss Bullock? Because I know Erica pretty well and she's one strong woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, all of my kids are strong kids, I think. And I'm proud of all of them. How did you get everybody into college through college? Like how did you do that? That's not easy, right? Oh, pray, prayer, honey. God answered. Yeah. The answer. And, uh, <laughs> he wanted to go to college, so I just talked to the master, and he waited yeah. away for me. Do you want them to all go to college, or was it everybody decided on their own what they wanted to do? They decided on their own what they wanted to do. Yeah, she was very um, supportive, but she was very hands-off. Um, in terms of what we wanted to do. And we all ended up in college in different ways and at different times. So my oldest brother, Tony, uh, went to the military uh, and then the police academy, and he was a police officer for a long time, and then he was injured, and he ended up working at a, um, a military installation for about 20 years. He actually just retired from the military uh, last year. And then my second oldest brother, Gerard, he had a kind of a circuitous uh, route to college. He also was in the military, and then he left and, and left the military and did a bunch of different things and then realized that he wanted to go to college, so he went and got his bachelor's and eventually his master's. Um, Victor, who's third, he went to UC Berkeley. He had a scholarship and partial scholarship and went up there, but he couldn't get the rest of the money. Um, so he ended up coming back home and he moved back home and mom helped him to get into community college. He finished his his associates and then transferred to UCLA, got his bachelor's at UCLA and then went on to law school at Hastings. And I went the traditional route. I went straight from high school to a four-year university and got my bachelor's and then went on to law school after that. So we all took very different routes, but she played a key role in all of us <laughs> achieving that. So, Erica, I'm curious to know, what's the biggest piece of advice that your mom ever gave you that you, like, keep with you all the time? She told me that I'm just as good as anybody else. She told me that I am worthy, that I am smart, and that I'm capable, and that when no matter who I'm with, no matter what the setting, that I am equal to whomever I encounter. And that has kept with me my entire life. I think that my sort of rule that we talked about the last time I was on about what would a white man do is sort of the culmination of that advice because our society is so bent toward, you know, a certain group of folks having all the power, having all the money, having all the um, influence. And if you enter into a situation believing that you deserve to be there, that you're just as worthy as everyone else who's there. It gives you an empowerment and helps you to, to do what you're capable of when the chips are going down, <laughs> as they say. I think that's, I mean, especially when we look at 
race and women. I mean, it's almost like there's so much division in the country. There has been for a long time. And Ms. Bullock, did you ever have to overcome a lot of that division and, sh and, and help your kids navigate through all that? Yes, I did. Yeah. Would you share, because there's a lot of listeners in our audience that are from all over the world, and they have all kinds of different challenges that they face with the fact that they are a woman of color, of different religion, all kinds of things that, that could be a setback for them. That's true. But you just have to keep on keeping on. One of the, the things that, that she talked about when I was growing up is how, as African-Americans and the history of, of racism in America, um, that a lot of times, and it's not fair, but it's true, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Mom, you can expand on that, what you mean by that, and when you used to say that and tell that to us. Well, the work that uh, you have to do, they give you twice as much work as they do anybody else. So you have to do it, you know, whether you like it or not. But in the end, God will help you and bring you through it. That's all you have to do is just ask him, and he'll help you and bring you through it. Because he sits high and he looks low and he sees everything and he knows everything. Faith is your guide to overcoming the challenges that you face. That's it. You've got to have faith. Yes. And look to God. He have all the answers. It makes it seem so <laughs> easy, right? <laughs> no, it's not easy. It's not easy. No, it's not easy in the least. Being a Christian is not easy. But we have to do what the Lord said for us to do. We have to love one another. We have to love our neighbor. No matter how they treat us, we have to love them. And that's what I try to do. And I asked him to help me to do it. So he's helped me all these years. Not easy at all. So, Erica, what else can you share about your mom that would be something that we maybe didn't hear before in our, in our last podcast? Because your mom has some great expressions. Some greatest some of the best expressions I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, she she does. Well, one of the one of the expressions, and this is this is a little bit off topic, but a useful mantra to say to yourself when you're in a difficult situation, when someone is doing something that is you know annoying or upsetting or difficult or not smart, she she would look and and nod her head in sympathy and say. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> that, that's one that, that she used a lot. And I think that one is just a, a, a way to express both sympathy for the person who's doing whatever they're doing, as well as avoiding maybe saying something that you might not, that might not be beneficial to share. Um, <laughs> Mom, you want to talk about that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have a lot of sins, but I just this one I I use quite a lot. <laughs> bless his heart. Bless his heart. I love him. Uh, another one that comes to mind is the hard head makes the soft behind. You want to share about that one, Mom? <laughs> oh boy, yes. When you tell, oh, I used to tell my kids, 
not to do that thing, and they go right on and do it. And after they do it, they come telling me you cried, and I said, well, hard head makes us all behind. You wanted to do that, so you see how I feel now. <laughs> so I used to tell them that all the time. But my grand grandson, he, <laughs> he came out to visit me one day, and uh, he was going up and down the stairs, so these little ladder things on the stairs. He wanted trying to put his head through it, and I told him, I said, don't put your head through that. He said, don't do that. I said, you can't get it out. So I came on downstairs, and I was doing something, and he said, Grammy, Grammy. I said, what? Said, I can't get my head out. <laughs> I said, you can't get your head out? No. And I said, well, how did you get it in there? He said, I pushed it in. <laughs> I said, well, okay, we're going to have to pull it out. <laughs> yeah, so little things like that. I'm so and proud I, of my family. I have 10 grandkids and uh, two great-grandchildren. That's amazing. And you fostered over 100 children as well? Oh, way more than 100. More. Yeah. I just love kids. And I miss them so bad now. I, I I really miss them. Yeah, the pandemic's been hard. Yeah. Do you, do you get to keep in touch with the kids that you fostered at all? Some of them I do. Yeah. She kept babies mostly. So um, aside from the two that she adopted, um, who she's still in touch with, the others were, you know, little two, three, four-month-old babies up until two or three. I don't remember exactly what her foster care license was, but then they would be placed in a different home or hopefully sent back home with their family. Um, so most of them, you know, wouldn't remember her because they were with her when she was, when they were so young. You know, it's amazing. I, I'm just like so impressed with the strength, the faith, the sayings, of course. But, you know, when you look at a life like, like you've had, Ms. Bullock, you've had, you've had diversity, you've raised amazing children you have amazing grandchildren and erica i'm curious to know like what do you feel like your strengths are that you got from your mom that you're passing on to your daughter Ooh, so many um my mother is tireless she works and works and works and works and that is a lesson that i took to heart from her that if you want something you have to work to get it and nobody owes you anything. Nobody's going to do it for you. Like, if you want it, you got to get it yourself. And that is something that I have always seen modeled by her. And my high value for family and, and close friendships, she, 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 she wasn't like a social butterfly. Like, she didn't go out and party and drink and any of that. She had a very few close friends that she carried with her from Oklahoma, people that she knew for 50, 60, 70 years, some people that she still knows. And that's a huge value um, that I've taken with her as well, that when you find those special people in your life, um, that you really cherish them and nurture those relationships. Another, <laughs> that brings my, to mind another thing she used to say growing up, don't throw your pearls before swine, meaning <laughs> you, there's a, a scripture in the Bible where they're talking about when you have something of value, you have to take care of it. You don't just give it to anyone. You cherish it. And so don't throw your, your pearls before swine 
and I I interpret that lesson as your friendship, your care, your love, all those things are really valuable. And so you want to pick and choose very carefully who you share those things with because you want them to be valued by the person that you give them to. And so that's something I definitely carry with myself in every aspect of my life and work and personal relationships, my husband, my kids. <laughs> and another thing I've learned about my mother is always be curious of that learned from her. You know, I have a lifelong just sort of quest for learning and knowledge and information. That's something that she always encouraged with reading and learning. And I remember when I was little, something would happen and I would be shocked and surprised. And I'd say, mom, I didn't know that. And she would say, honey, what you don't know would fill another world. (laughs) (laughs) From that, I learned, you know, there's always more to learn. There's always more to research. There's always more to figure out. There's always more questions to ask. And you should always be looking for that knowledge. Right, mom? That's right. You're never too old to learn. You're never too old. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice too, because like when you think about the people that are, especially that are listening to the podcast, they're all professionals. And so maybe some of them have lost some of their faith, whatever their faith may be. And they may be, lost their curiosity because they're so busy doing all the time that they stop to stop being curious, stop being creative, stop being thoughtful. I often talk about, you know, thinking about being more curious than judgmental. Just just learn more. No, don't make a judgment about something. Be be more curious. I think that's a great thing to remember. Another lesson I learned from my mom is to always listen. When you're in a new situation in a group of people that you don't know, listen. Watch and listen, (laughs) because you don't know the circumstances, you don't know the players, you don't know what's happening, you don't know the underlying relationships, and that that lesson has saved me so many heartaches, (laughs) so much trouble, and so much difficulty, because you can't, you know, jump in and dictate and tell people what to do and how to do it. You have to figure out where you fit in. And you can only do that by understanding the situation. So always listen and, and observe. Yes, and you can't judge people. I, I'm still working on that one. <laughs> you know, she's much better at it than me. Well, I've been here longer. <laughs> That's right. She's had more practice, Erica. That's right. A little bit. I think those are all really good reminders and really and really good lessons. I, I know for myself also, we all have a tendency to like to just want to jump into a conversation and do the talking and not do the listening. And listening is, it's the biggest part of the conversation sometimes, right? Yes. A closely related but slightly different uh, thing she used to say is all in the Kool-Aid and don't know the flavor. So when you try to come in and add your input into a situation without knowing all the facts you can you sometimes put your foot in the mouth in your mouth and mess it up so that was another one over time all in the kool-aid but don't know the flavor but don't know the flavor i love that uh close closely related is uh all in the mustard and can't catch up <laughs> these are great that's right I'm gonna, i think you need to put a book together of all these expressions i told that to eric because these are i mean 
I always, I'm laughing also because I grew up in, in Canada and a lot of these expressions, you know, I never heard any of them at all. Very, very distant from the French Canadian expressions I've heard grow, growing up. <laughs> <laughs> well, this oh, is, boy. this is so great. I really appreciate your taking the time to speak with us, to share your story to share your expressions and your perspective on life. I think there's so much here. And Erica, thank you for bringing your mom on too, because there's so much here, you know? Okay, so this is what I wrote down. I just wanna, I wanna recap some of the, the big ones that I got from here. Um, I love the what would a white man do? I think for a women's podcast, that's a great, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> that you deserve to be there, that you have to remind yourself that even though you feel like you might be inadequate or too young to be at the table or too different to be at the table that you deserve to be there and I think that's a great reminder so for everybody listening if you're the and I know I've coached a lot of young women young associates who've said you know nobody's going to listen to me I'm too young I have no business speaking up actually maybe you should think again about that you do deserve to be there and you do deserve that spot at the table you know and also what's true and it's also hopefully will change is that you have to work twice as hard to get half as as far, and I think, I think Erica, you could probably speak to that today in your own legal in the legal world. I see that still being the case. Do you still see that being the case for women of diversity? Oh, absolutely, and I think um, part partly is due to sort of the structural sexism and and all the other isms that play in our society, but I think part of it is also the expectations we place on ourselves. I think as women, we we sometimes stop ourselves from seizing the opportunities that might otherwise be there. Another, that reminds me of another thing my mother used to say growing up, which is don't limit God, meaning you shouldn't be telling yourself what you can't do. You are not the final determiner of what you are able to accomplish. Just try it. Put yourself out there. Give the attempt. And until we do that, we won't know our own potential. So we have to take that chance, take that extra step, do the other thing, take the stretch assignment. I'm in a, a certificate program for diversity and inclusion right now at E. Cornell. And a lot of the information I do know have just being a Black woman. But some of the things that I'm learning are really fascinating um, one of which is in in corporate America, women are less likely to be given the stretch assignment. And that's where you grow. That's where you learn. That's where you advance your career. That's where things happen to make you go from one level to the next. And so as women, I would just encourage you all, take, ask for the stretch assignment. Take it. You know, put yourself out there and, and do it. You can do it. And don't be afraid to ask. And I think that's the biggest, like, that is huge advice. And I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine the other day. She's a physician, and she runs a huge medical practice. Like, And they just got acquired by this, I don't know, maybe it's a private equity. And she, the CEO of the private equity says, oh, I'm going to give you a management position, a, a big title. But she already gave her other male partner a big title. And my friend is working herself, you know, she's working hard to, doing all this extra work and she still doesn't have a title. And I'm like, march in there and say, 
I want my title now. And she's like, well, I, w- I don't want to hurt. I don't, I want to be nice. Right. I want to play, you know what I'm saying? I want to play nice. You know, there's golden handcuffs attached. If I'm not nice and then, and things don't go well, then I won't get the settlement at the end of this partnership or whatever it is. And I'm like, no, you don't have to be nice. This is business. Like this is different. Ask, push yourself. And, and it's too bad that so many of us feel that so many women feel that, feel that way. I remember going to many meetings with men and deferring to them for the decision as opposed to said, leaning in and making the decision and saying, this is what we're going to do. Like, why should, don't give up your power. Right. Another, another related topic to that is women are more likely to step into the sort of domestic related roles in the workplace and they are punished for doing that. And so I think that phenomenon is exactly what the working twice as hard to get half as far, you know, is that statement encompassed by that phenomenon because you're doing your work, your substantive work, and you're planning the meeting and calling the caterer and making sure things get cleaned up at the end and, you know, going to the extra mile for the firm for the, for the whole benefit of the entire group so you're doing twice the work and not getting rewarded for it in fact you're getting punished for it because you're not getting the benefits of the promotion of the title of the additional compensation and so that's exactly that's an exact example of what she was talking about well i think that's a great note to end on so for everybody listening remember that listen watch and listen and all in the kool-aid don't know the flavor. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, Ms. Bullock. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And Erica, you know, I just dig yes so much. You're so cool. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel make sure to subscribe and rate us. For our show notes and information on upcoming episodes, visit our website at hergavel.com. And if you'd like more information about coaching, training, or any of my books, please send email to stephanie at hergavel.com. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode of Her Gavel, where we will continue to shadow the glass ceiling for women in law. Mm-hmm.